If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 13 through 15. We've been in Galatians for quite some time, just so you know. We're going to finish the book of Galatians at the end of July. We'll have completed preaching through uh, just this amazing book on justification by faith. The title today is Free to Love, and it's really part two. And so the first part was last week in the first part of chapter 5, and so I encourage you, if you're able to, uh, go online, you can listen to that if you missed it, and this is going to build off of that message. The main point is that as Christians, we've been called by grace to love others through faith. That's what we're going to look at. We've been called by grace to love others through faith. Andrew, can you turn me down the monitors? Thanks. Um... Last week, in chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he says, when you first received Jesus Christ, when you were justified by faith, you were living in accordance with your faith. But now, something has happened. And I just want to encourage you, um, what does it look like to run by faith? Are you able to answer that question? Earlier in the book, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. In the life I live, by faith in the, live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we have this idea in chapter 5, we're to run well. Earlier, he says, Christ now lives in us, and we are to live by faith in Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says that he's in anguish over the Galatians, that Christ would be formed in them, meaning that they would be made more like Jesus. And so we've been given these things that describe what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live by faith, and we're to have Christ formed in us. We're to run well, but what does that look like? Um, we had a couple people baptized today, so imagine one of the children come up to you today who were baptized, and they say, you know, you've been a Christian for a while, um, can you tell me what it looks like to live for Jesus? What does that life look like? I think, as, I think in church for a while, we often have settled for generalities, and we say things like, well, you just need to have faith, or you just need to hope in God, but what do those things mean? What does that look like to actually do that? And so that's what we're going to look at today, is what does it look like to, to run well, to live by faith, to have Christ living in us, to have Christ formed in us. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to stand uh, as we read chapter 5, 13 through 15. Here at Timberline, we stand, um, and we do this to honor God because we believe that his word comes to us by grace from him, inspired by the spirit that we would know God and how to live for him. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you for this word today. For the word here that we have before us that, that helps us understand what it is to live by faith that shows us that a life of faith is revealed in love for one another. God, and I pray that you would give us wisdom to understand this passage. 
Lord, draw us to repentance if as we go through this passage, we realize we have not been loving others well as you have loved us. God, I pray that you would help us increase our faith. God, help us to love as you have loved us. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, we'll start out, and I just want to give the structure of the text. Uh, we haven't always done this, but I think I want to start doing this. Is just giving the structure in the beginning of a sermon that you see the flow of the text. And it begins with a declaration, you were called to freedom. We see that in verse 13. You're called to freedom, and then there's a negative statement and a positive statement. Don't use your freedom this way. And then at the end of verse 13, use your freedom this way. So that's what he says. And then in verse 14, we begin to give an explanation. 14, we're given a positive. Loving others is the fulfillment of the law. And then a negative, don't bite and devour one another for you'll be consumed. And so there's a declaration with a negative and a positive statement. An explanation with a positive and a negative statement. That's the flow of the text. And so we're going to try to... Uh, when we begin our sermons, is to always try to begin showing you the flow of the text so that that way, as you begin reading just more and more at home, you'll be able to see just the outlines of of the writers as they are in your Bible. And so I want to begin by saying, who is free? Paul says in verse 13, for you are called to freedom, brothers. And so we know the word brothers, it's referring to the Christians in Galatia. So the believers, the Christians. But I think we need to unpack that a little bit more because in society today, in culture today, there's many Christians, right? There are many labels that have the word Christian associated with it. Jehovah Witnesses are Christians, Seventh-day Adventists are Christians, um, Mormons are Christians, Catholics are Christians. But, but are they all Christians? Is, is that, are, are they Christians? And so Paul actually tells us really what a Christian is. He's going to tell us who are these people that are free. And if you begin, verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom. That echoes back to chapter 1, verse 15, when Paul speaks about his own salvation. And he says, I was called by grace that I would be saved. And so Paul, right here in the beginning of this section, is saying, brothers, you were called. Remember, you were called by God's grace to be free. And so Christians are called by God's grace, and they're to be free. And who is Free. Well, Paul has been talking throughout the letter that we're no longer slaves to the law, meaning that we, are, um, that we try to seek acceptance to God by law-keeping. We're freed from using the law as a means of trying to uh, gain acceptance to God, but now we're freed because we've been justified by faith. We believed in Jesus Christ, and therefore now we are free in Christ, and we are under grace. In verse 18, it says, you are not under the law. And so Paul is emphasizing those who have been called by grace, justified by faith in Christ, they are free. So that is who a Christian is. These are who he's addressing. So if you're here today, and you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that is a testimony of God's grace in your life, and you are a believer. 
We do not use works. We do not use the law to become a believer to earn our salvation. But we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is who Paul is talking to. The Galatians, Christians, saved by grace through faith in Jesus And now Paul's going to say, there's a wrong way to live by faith, and there's a right way. And so he begins, indulging the flesh is the wrong way to use our freedom. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, you've got to just remember the flow of the letter. Paul has been talking about, we are not justified by the law, we are justified by faith. We're no longer under the law. That's what he says in verse 18. And if you go to chapter 3, Paul would say, Um, In the Old Testament, under the law, we were guardians. Uh, The law was our guardian. We were held captive. We were in bondage to the law. But then he says, faith came, referring to Jesus. And in Christ, we are set free from being under the law. And so, after all of this, you're not under the law, you're not under the law, you're not under the law. Now you're free. It's easy to think, wow, I don't have to obey law at all. I have been freed from the law to live freely however I want. And that's what Paul is now guarding against. He's saying, you have not been saved that you would give opportunity to the flesh. And what this is called, and it's a word that we don't necessarily use around the kitchen table, antinomianism. I don't know if you used that this morning. Um, But it's really, it just means against the law. That's what it means, against the law. Now, legalism says Christ has not done enough, therefore, by works of the law, I will prove, I will earn my salvation. Antinomianism is a little bit different. It says Christ did everything for me so that now as a Christian, I have absolutely nothing to do. There are no obligations, there are no demands on me at all. And so what it does, it looks at all the commands of Scripture and says, well, if Jesus wants me to do them, then he will do those through me apart from my will, and I have no need to try to obey anything. And so what does this look like in church? Maybe that will help a little bit. Let's say someone uh, stops gathering with us as a church. They've been a member, and, and they just stop gathering. And so we go to them, and, and we, we talk, and we say, hey, we're concerned about you. You're no longer gathering with us as believers. And, and we see in Hebrews, it talks about, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And all the person says, hey, hold on here. Don't give me law. We're under grace. As if I don't have to be with the church because we're grace. So there's no obligations upon me. Or let's say someone uh, begins uh, not reading the Bible at all and says, look, I just don't need to read the Bible. I don't have to do that. So we come to them and say, you know, it's really by, it's through the word that we we are saved. It's through the word that we grow in our faith. And and we're urging the person to be back in the word of God. They say, hey, hold on. I don't have to read the Bible. Don't, Don't place that demand on me. We're not under law. We're under grace. Or let's say that there's a person and he's married and he says, you know what? I don't want to be married anymore. I'm going to now pursue a a homosexual lifestyle. And so we come to them in love and we say, hey, what's happening here? You know, God's word talks about the right, about what it is to live a godly life and how homosexuality departs from that. He says, hey, hold on here. We're we're not under law. We're under grace. I can live how I want. uh, I can live how I want. Don't judge me. You see how antinomianism comes in very easily? 
You probably say it when you're driving, doing 35 and a 20. No, we're doing 45 and a 35 because everything is 35 in Lacey. Have you noticed that? Everything is 35. Like if you don't see a speed limit, just go 35 because that's the speed limit. But you're doing 45. Your kid in the back seat says, Dad, Dad, you're speeding. I'm not under law, buddy. I'm under grace. Just keep driving. We're in it. So not only it, legalism and antinomianism are both just distortions of grace. Legalism says grace is not enough. So it says, therefore, I have to do my works. Antinomianism is a shallow view of grace because it doesn't see how God saves us and transforms us that now we would live a different way. These are really two sides of a different coin, and we see it not only in the church, but our society screams antinomianism today. Live however it is that you want. What is right for you is right for you. What is right for you is right for you. And none of us have any ability or authority to question one another. Live however you want. Indulge your flesh however it leads you. I have a, and I guess he's a friend because you know, we all have friends on Facebook. Um, so there's a, a, one of my friends on Facebook, he recently left his family. I think I shared this a while ago. Um, he left his family, um, his wife and his kid, because he now says, um, I, I'm a homosexual now, and I, I want to pursue homosexuality. And so the 70 comments underneath that all completely and absolutely support him. You go, you go, make yourself happy. Do what you want. It's good. Your family will be fine. You owe it to yourself to do what makes you happy. Indulge your flesh. We have no right to judge you. There is no law against what you want to do. Just go do it. Our society says if you have a desire, then you have an obligation to fulfill that desire. That's what culture says today. We live in an extremely antinomian culture. It's extremely relative. And it comes right into the church. And so Paul is saying, this is not how we're to live. And now he's going to guide us into the right way to use our freedom. And so he says in the last part of verse 13, but through love serve one another. Loving others is the right way to use our freedom. Like my pink cup today. This is my wife's. It's not mine. I don't have a pink cup. <laughs> salmon colored? No. It's not salmon. It's pink. Um, so notice what we have here. <clears throat> you were called to freedom, brothers. So here's the declaration. You're free. You're no longer under the law. You are free. Go to now the end of verse 13. But through love, serve one another. The word serve is the word doulos, which is the same word for servant and slave. You see the irony a little bit here? You're free to now be a slave to other people. You are free from the law that now you would be a servant and slave of others. What Paul is saying is that now we can lovingly and willingly obligate ourselves to others. We can lovingly and willingly obligate ourselves to So let me explain what happened here. Before salvation, 
we use other people to make much of ourselves. If you look back, chapter 4, verse 17, Paul is talking about the Judaizers. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. Why? That you might make much of them. It's all about you making much of them. And when we are slaves under the law, we are constantly feeding our flesh, trying to build up who we are, and so we use other people to justify who we are, to make us better, to prove our righteousness. And if they do not benefit us, then we cut them off and we find other people who do benefit us, who help us, who support the justification of me. An example of this is just the divorce rate in America right now, right? See, when people commit to one another, they're not committing to one another, they're committed to themselves. What they're saying is, yes, I marry you till death to us part, as long as you make me happy. If you stop making me happy, marriage is over. I'm not committed to you, I'm committed to my happiness. As long as you meet my happiness, we're good. You stop meeting my happiness, I will find someone else. That is our divorce rate right there. In all of America. In fact, um, I told Andrew this the other day. I'm, I'm watching Captain America with Ben, my my oldest son. He just turned ten, and so we said, "Okay, you can watch Captain America." Now we are huge, huge superhero people. Um, they get it all from my wife, not from me at all. You know that's a lie. Uh, and so Captain America is my favorite, <clears throat> my favorite one. So you have Steve Rogers, played by Chris Evans, and it starts out, Steve Rogers is scrawny, I mean like scrawny, 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 it's just amazing how small with the camera they made him look. Um, but eventually he's given the serum by the scientists, and he is made into the Chris Evans, into the Captain America that we know. He's huge, he's strong, and he's pretty amazing. But at that moment, the good scientist gets killed. And Colonel Phillips, played by Tommy Lee Jones, says, look, I don't need you. I was promised an army of superheroes. I don't need just one guy. You alone are no benefit to me. Go be a lab rat somewhere else. And so then Colonel Phillips heads off to Germany, and Steve Rogers parts this way. Eventually, Steve, Captain America, makes his way to Germany, where he finds that his buddy, Bucky, is been taken captive and so he goes to free him he ends up freeing him and 400 other people bringing them all back to the base victorious and what does colonel phillips think now of captain america well now this man's a benefit now i can use him now because this guy we can win the war and so now we see captain america is birthed and all the movies come forth and he saves america from germany but before he proved himself he was of no benefit because we only want people who will benefit us. If you don't benefit me, then I don't need you. And you become an obstacle, I will hurdle and go around and find someone who does benefit me. That's how we live apart from Christ. But Paul's point is that now we're free from living for ourselves. We're free from trying to satisfy the monster of our flesh within, within us, which is insatiable, and the more we give, the more it says just more, 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 never satisfied. But if you go back to chapter 4, I encourage you to go back to chapter 4, look at verse 5. Paul says at the end of verse 5 <clears throat> that we might receive adoption as sons, 
Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we're adopted. We've been given the spirit of God. Verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And of a son, then an heir through God. Meaning that now in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of God. And everything that God possesses, you now also possess in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Isn't that an amazing truth? We go from slave, really having nothing, to now becoming an heir of God by grace through faith in Jesus that now we possess everything. So now I'm free of trying to use other people to make much of me. And now I can see people through the lens of the gospel and we can love one another. I see you as someone who's been made in the image of God, and now I have the privilege of loving. We are free from being slaves to ourselves to now lovingly and willingly obligating ourselves to others. And really what's happening here is we're living like Jesus. Remember, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live. So Christ lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so what we're seeing is Christ is now living in us that we, by faith in him, would love like him. Let me read uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 for you. 4 through 8. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. You see that? Just stop right there. Okay, we're no longer looking only at our interests, but now I'm looking at your interests. Why? Because I'm free from only looking at my interests. It's free that now I can look at your interests and I can love you and serve you. So with different words, Paul is saying a very similar thing to what he's saying in Galatians. Now we love one another. I'm interested in you. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind I have been given in Christ, it is the very mind of Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what we have here is Jesus leaves heaven, that he would come as a man born into this world, live 30 plus years, and eventually die for us so that we could be saved. He lovingly and willingly obligates himself to others so that we would be saved by him, given his mind, that we would then willingly and lovingly obligate ourselves to others also. Do you see how that's christ formed in us that's what it is to have christ living in us or the second part of galatians 2 20 living by faith in the son of god or galatians 4 19 having christ formed in us or what it means in chapter 5 verse 7 to run well all of that right there is seen in loving other people see jesus is not only our savior he's also our pattern our example. He saves us and he also reveals to us what it looks like to live a life of faith. You ever notice who Jesus hung out with? The people Jesus hung out with would tarnish any reputation, right? He hung out with whores, tax collectors, 
All the people who didn't make any of the important lists, that's who Jesus hung out with. And he loved them and he healed them. Jesus is not only our Savior, he's our pattern. And notice what, Jesus, what Paul is saying here. You're free to live this way. He's not saying live this way and you hopefully will become free. You see the difference? We've been given grace that we would live a certain way versus live a certain way that we would earn salvation or what some would say earn grace which doesn't make sense because grace cannot be earned so what paul is saying here he's simply saying live out who you are in jesus jesus has saved you and he's transformed you now live who god has called you to be and that is a life of love and on a side note let me say this um paul has spent four chapters in deep robust strong theology theology about god's grace and justification by works and now after four chapters of theology we're in chapters five and six which are dedicated to what does this theology look like lived out he doesn't start with actions and how do we live he starts with what has god done who has that made us to be and now in chapters five and six what does that look like let this be an um instruction for us when we counsel one another we start with theology we start with who we are in jesus christ we start with the root of the issue what has god done for us how has he transformed us and only after we understand god and who we are in jesus christ then do we move to how do we act if you go to any secular counselor what do they do they start with actions well how do you listen how do you talk how do you speak where do you talk how do you do these things they start with action if you start with the fruit you never get to the root right like if there's bad apples on an apple tree i can spray paint them do as much as i want it's not going to change the roots but if i change the roots it will change the fruit so what we see in scripture we always start with the heart and so listen when we counsel one another when we encourage one another we always do so first to get to the heart, reminding ourselves who we are in Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves that we're free in Jesus, and then, only then, are we able to now begin saying, what does this look like now? If we're having trouble loving our spouse, it doesn't help me you saying, well, listen this way, talk this way. If I still hate my spouse, I can hate her listening those ways also. But if you transform my heart by bringing me back to the scripture that I would see what Jesus has done for me, now I see how I'm to live and the power that is given to me through faith by the Spirit. Does that make sense? We start with the heart, then we go to actions. It's exactly what Paul does. and It's pretty much the format he sets in every letter. So now Paul's going to go, verse 14, and he wants to give the explanation. Why do we love other people? Why do we willingly and lovingly obligate ourselves to others? Because loving others is the fulfillment of the law. Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now Paul says the whole law. This is much more than the Ten Commandments. We're not talking only about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the entire Old Testament here. He's summarizing it. The the law, meaning everything, is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is slightly interesting, isn't it? 
We've been said, or Paul has said, like verse 18, you're not under the law. Chapter 3, the law was our guardian. We're held captive under the law. We're now free from the law. Why does he use the law as support for how we live? I thought we're done with the law, right? No, that's antinomianism. Paul's not against the law. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 12 of Romans, Paul will say, the law is good. The law is holy. So what's Paul against? If you flip back, go back in your Bibles just to chapter 2, verse 16 of Galatians. We have a really good understanding of what Paul is against. Verse 16, he says, Yet we know that a person is just is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times there, what's Paul against? Works of the law. Turning the law into a ladder that if I do these things, I become acceptable to God. That's what Paul is against. He's against thinking that we can prove ourselves, justify ourselves by anything of our own merit. And so here he quotes chapter 19, verse 18 of Leviticus saying, look, the law is about loving people. And that was its original intent. If you go all the way back to Leviticus, guys, you see that it says we're to love one another, love others as we love ourselves. That's been the whole point of the law. But the problem is, is by sin, we distort the law. We turn it into a ladder thinking, if I do this, I can now become acceptable to God. But that's not the purpose of the law. In fact, if you look at the law, and the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are all about loving God, right? And then the second six commandments are what? About loving one another. And so the only way we do the second six is if we actually love God in the first four. So out of a love for God comes a love for others. In fact, when you go throughout the Old Testament, looking at all the laws, ultimately they're fulfilled in how do we love one another? And when Jesus comes and he washes the disciples' feet, remember, he washes their feet, he says, now this I have done to you as an example of what you are doing, of what you are to do to others. And then in verse 34 of John 13, this is what Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The distinguishing mark of a believer is love. To live by faith is to love others. To run well is to love others. To have Christ formed in us is to love others. To have Christ living in us and to live by faith in the Son of God is to love others. That's what it is to look like. So I just want to encourage you. Are you loving other people now? Think about it. Do you love other people? Be drawn towards others, that you would serve them, that you would love them. If you were to kind of go back over just the last three or four days and examine kind of your speech, would it be building people up or would it be tearing people down? Just kind of just think through that. Look, as we go through here, um, 
if God leads you to repentance, you know that's a good thing, right? Strong Christians repent all the time. Weak Christians repent sometimes. Unbelievers never repent. Okay? So let's just get that. Repentance is good. Because what we're doing is we're continually submitting ourselves to the word of God saying, Jesus, make me more like you. Make me more like you. And we're continually saying, if there's anything that is out of line, draw that to my attention that I may repent of it and live for you. So whenever you're led to repentance, don't be discouraged. That is God's grace working in you that you would then become more like him. That's actually the process of being formed more like Jesus. But Paul then says, that we are to love one another as we love ourselves. So what does that mean? That we're to love others as we love ourselves? Well, Paul in Ephesians gives a similar wording that I think explains this pretty well. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's kind of a famous section. Many of you probably know it. It's where Paul begins talking about women or or wives and husbands and how we relate to one another. Then he compares that to Christ and the church. And in chapter 5, verse 28, listen to what Paul says about, about how husbands are to love their wives. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You get to love your neighbor as yourself, love your wife as yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Jesus Christ does the church. So what we have here is Paul saying, look, husbands, as you look at yourself, that's how you look at your wife. When you are hungry, what do you do? You feed yourself. And so when your wife is hungry, what do you do? Or you, you feed her. When you're cold, and because you're aware of yourself and you're concerned about yourself, you put a jacket on. When your wife is cold, what do you do? You, you put a jacket on her. You take care of her. In the same way you look out for yourself, you look out for others. And so the reason we do this is because I'm aware. The reason I take care of myself is because I'm aware and concerned about myself, right? I, if I'm hungry... I feed myself. If I cut myself, I put a bandage on. I put antiseptic because I don't want it to get infected. I'm aware of myself and I'm concerned about myself. And therefore, I take care of myself. Now, in the same way, you take care of yourself, take care of others. So, wives, as you might have been nudging your husbands a few moments ago, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loves the church. Um, But remember, this isn't just a husband thing, is it? This isn't every Christian thing. Because Paul here is talking to the church of Galatia, saying, look, the whole law is summed up in loving one another. So it's not just husbands, it's not just wives, it's every Christian, this is how we live. And so what does it look like? Well, this is how Martin Luther described it. Now remember, Martin Luther's in the 16th century, says it maybe a little bit differently, but I think we'll get the essence. He says, performing unimportant works such as the following. Teaching the erring, comforting the afflicted, encouraging the weak, helping the neighbor in whatever way we, one can, bearing with his rude manners and impoliteness, putting up with annoyances, labors, and ingratitude, and contempt of men in both church and state, obeying the magistrates, treating one's parents with respect, being patient in the home with a cranky wife in an unmanageable family, and the like. There's, there's Martin Luther. But... But think about what he's saying here. He says the unimportant works. He's not saying they're unimportant as in like they have really no meaning, but he's saying they're just normal. The normal day tasks were to love those who are around us, 
comforting the afflicted. Just as you want to be comforted when you're afflicted, so we comfort others. Encourage the weak. Helping the neighbor. And not only the neighbor you like, but the other one. The one you don't like. The one that's just rude. The one that has no like social abilities at all. You ever have one of those neighbors? I, I do. <laughs> I've had them. I, we had them in Michigan. That was crazy. Had them in our last house. Had them here. We just have neighbors that live around us. And you're just like, man, this is just strange. We love them. Not only the ones who love us in certain ways, but we love all. We love our wives or our sp- husbands or spouses, our children. When they don't love us well, we don't sit here and go, honey, I would submit to you when you love me well. I would lead you well when you, uh, when you love me the right way. No, we love them when they're cranky. We love them when they don't submit. We love them when it's hard. Now again, is Paul saying, you do this so hopefully you'll be free? No, you are free. Christ lives in you. This is what Christ has made you to be. So now you can live this way. And see, the difference is, before Christ... As we're slaves under the law. The law is a taskmaster. Do this, do this, do this. And it keeps saying do more no matter how much we do. It's never satisfied. But now in Christ, we correctly see the law. And we understand it's more like a road that we walk on. It gives direction to us. You see, the law is not our taskmaster. It's what love looks like lived out. Go to the Ten Commandments like, Don't divorce, don't kill, don't covet, don't lie. What are those things? What it looks like to live a life of faith loving other people. See, the law is not given so that we would earn our salvation. It's given to us that we might know what it looks like to live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the law. And only when we come to the law through the gospel do we correctly understand it. But anytime we come to the law apart from the gospel, what we're going to do is we're going to turn it into that ladder and we're going to try to earn our salvation. We're going to prove our righteousness. And what happens then is what we see in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one or watch out that you are not consumed with one another. Listen. Our relationships are an indicator if we're running by faith. If, if faith, if living by faith looks like love, being led by the Spirit looks like love, then when we're not trusting in the Spirit, when we're quenching the Spirit, when we're not walking by faith, we're not going to love other people. We're going to constantly see the negatives in them, how they're holding us back. We're going to begin stepping back from them, removing ourselves from them. You ever remove yourself from people? Why do we do that? Well, because it's just not healthy. We say something you know, socially acceptable like that. But what we mean is, they're not good to me. They don't appreciate me. They don't serve me the way I want to be served. They don't love me the way I want to be. So we just keep moving away from them. Or sometimes we just, we just attack them. We just tell them what a jerk they are, and we begin biting and devouring one another, which is the very thing that Paul is warning us against. We've been free that we would love one another. The reason we love one another is that that's the fulfillment of the law. That's what it is to be God's people, and you'll know when you're not trusting in Jesus, living by faith, running well, because all of a sudden you begin looking at people, not through the lens of the gospel, but as objects again. Are they serving me, or are they not serving me? And here what we're told 
is that we're to love others as we love ourselves. So I want to encourage you. Be loving other people the way that Christ is calling us to love. Do you only serve those who, if let's say you give, you invite them over to dinner, they invite you over to dinner? Do you only serve those who, if you give them a white elephant gift, they'll give you a white elephant gift? You know what I mean? Like similar social status, reciprocal. I get tongue-tied on that word right now. You know, mutual affection towards one another. We'll just use that right now. Where if I do something for them, they do something back. But are we serving those around us who have no ability to serve us? Are we serving those who we obviously know they have no ability, no means, and they might not even want to serve us back? Are we willingly and lovingly obligating ourselves to them? Because that's what Paul is saying. We're to love one another as, as we love ourselves, love our neighbor. It's good to love those who, who are similar to us, but we're called to love those who are different. We're called to look for those who are different. And one thing I, I think as a church we do that fairly well in many ways, especially here. I think we're a very welcoming church. But are we doing that on Monday through Saturday? Are we looking for people that we can serve? When there is a prayer chain that comes out that says, hey, look, we need meals. You know what? That's an opportunity for us to demonstrate our love in Christ, to demonstrate our faith. When that email comes out, we should be flooded back with emails. I'll do it. 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 Not, oh, man, I hope someone else does that. Because oftentimes that's what happens. When someone gets hurt and they need a visit, and we put that out, it should be, I'll visit, I'll visit, I'll visit, I'll visit. Not, oh man, I'm sure somebody else will do that. We're, we're lovingly and willingly obligating ourselves because we're loving each other as we would desire to be loved. Again, not to become saved, but because we are saved. And Paul is not saying, you just need to muster up this love because... This love is already in you because Christ is in you. He's simply saying, trust in Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at primarily next week. What does it look like? How do we actually do this? Um, so there are a couple implications, or let me just give one implication right now. Um, this means that we are people people. We're people persons. You ever hear someone say, I'm not really a people person. I'll give that to an unbeliever. You might not be a people person as an unbeliever because you probably use people as a means of justifying yourself. But as a Christian... We are people, people. Because why? Because the Spirit is in us that we would love others. Now, yes, there's going to be extroverts and there's introverts, and it's beautiful the way God has made us. Some of us can be with people all day long, and it's great. Some of us can be with people for like five minutes. Regardless, we are to be with people because that's what the Spirit is leading us to. So if you're not living in relationship with others, if you constantly find yourself moving towards solitude, and you're going against what the very Spirit is doing in you because the Spirit's moving you towards people. Now, that might look different depending upon your age, depending upon your health, whether you're mainly calling people, writing letters, or doing various things, but we are being led by the Spirit to love other people. And so one thing that we're going to try to start doing more and more here is we're really trying to create more small groups because even in a church of about 100, which I don't think we're at 100 today, I think July 4th weekend is here, but... Um, even at a church of about 100, whether that seems small to you or big to you, there's no way I can be aware and concerned about all of you, and there's no way all of you can be aware and concerned of each other. There's no way we can do that. I might know five, six, seven, eight, nine of you well, 
maybe know a few others, but to really know and be concerned and be aware that I might meet your needs as I meet my needs, I can't do it. But that's where we are wanting to see more small groups formed, and we're actually going to start calling them table groups, and that's another story. But if you come on Wednesday night, you'll hear a lot more about that. Um, But what we're wanting to see is people gathering together, committing to each other, studying God's word, that they would not only live out uh, the word of God um, in, in their lives, but with one another, loving one another, meeting the needs of one another. And so I want you to, um, I, I encourage you, be praying for us for more small groups, more small group leaders. And so we have more coming down the pipeline uh, that's going to be happening in the fall and other stuff that we'll let you uh, know about probably more next week even. Um, but I want to close on, so how do I foster this love? So we're saying, or not we're, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is saying, you have been freed, called by grace, justified by faith, that you would love other people. Now, imagine... I can imagine that you're here, and just as I do with this text, go, there's some people I love well. There's some people I don't love well. There's some people I don't think I want to love well. You with me? Like, like as you think through, like, there's, sure, there's difficulties in our life, and even the people we love well, there's probably enough times that we could say, I don't know that I even love them well all the time. So how do we grow in this love? We know this is what our faith is doing. We know this is what the Spirit is doing. So how do we do this? So first, we do. We come back to faith and Spirit. And if you remember last week, faith and Spirit always work together. Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. So faith comes from the Word of God. And then if we were to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 and verse 5, we would see the Spirit is given to us through hearing with faith. So faith is the conduit in which we receive the Spirit Faith and spirit always go together. Spirit is always working through faith. And what we see in chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 5 is faith produces love. And in chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Love produce, or the spirit produces love. Faith and spirit are both given to us that we would love. But where do they come from? They come from the word of God. Faith comes from the Word of God. Spirit comes through the hearing with faith of the Word of God. And so if we're going to grow in our love for one another and become more like Jesus, we start with the Word. Remember what we talked about earlier? We start with our theology. Theology moves us to action. We don't just say, guys, go out there. Here's 10 steps to love people. No, we start with the Word. And what I want to call it is we learn Jesus. Those are the blanks there. We learn Jesus because the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's about how He came, why He came, what He does in us, and what He's going to do when He returns. whole Bible is about Jesus and how we are being made like Jesus. So the first thing we want to do is we want to learn Jesus. Jesus. Because as we look into the Word of God with faith, the Spirit will continue to transform us that we love, that we live and love like Jesus. And that's the next point is that we learn Jesus so that we live like Jesus. We don't read our Bible so that we just walk away from the Bible, but we read it that we're transformed. And let me say this. I know many of you, you are in the Word on a regular basis, but I talk to also many of you, and you know many other believers, I am sure, who are just not in the Word. 
and they treat the word as it's optional. It's a very antinomian mindset. I don't have to be in the word. I'm under grace, not law. But if, if you wonder if you need the word, go to your spouse, go to your children, go to your friend and ask them, do I perfectly love you like Jesus loves you every moment of every day? If you do that, if they say yes and put down the word, you're good. Somehow, you already got the hope of righteousness that comes when Jesus returns. You got that now. And if, like, we, we could take tips from you. We'll let you come up and share. But I, I say that kind of crossly, kind of sarcastically, because it just doesn't happen. We all need to be in the word of God. We need to stop, and I don't mean to sound crass, we need to stop giving stupid excuses for not being in the Word. The Word is what gives us life. The Word is what transforms us to live like Jesus. By saying we don't need to be in the Word or take some antinomians, I don't need to be. It's fine. I'll get to it on Sundays when the pastor preaches. And, and we're not trying to live by faith. We're not running well. We're quenching the Spirit within us. And, and what, when I talk to you, and, and, and when you talk to others, I'm sure when you talk to people who are struggling with the Bible, they say, look, I want to be in the Word. The reason we're not is because we're still indulging the flesh. The reason we're not is we're still making reasons, excuses for why we can't be in the Word. I want to encourage you, we must be in If we're going to love other people, we start with the Word because it's in the Word. We know who God is and who we are in Jesus Christ. Next, we live it out. We always read the Word. We learn Jesus to live like Jesus let me just give a quick quote from James, because this is what James says, and I love James. That James, too. I know you were thinking that, James. James, he always comes up to me afterwards. You know you were preaching my favorite. You were preaching about me today, reading his book. Um, James 1, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So he says, live out the word. And then he says this, and I love this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, so if anyone just reads, closes, walks away, not transformed, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, what's the perfect law? That would be to loving one another. The law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing listen we're given the word of god that we learn jesus and then live like jesus we don't learn about jesus close the book walk away and be like what did i just read you ever do that stop reading that way and, and there's times even um friday thursday one of those days i was reading and i got through about eight verses and i went what did i just read you ever do that i do it i'm a pastor so look we can all do it like, I, I do, and then what did I do? I went back through those eight verses again. And actually, there was this little mini war. Well, I really want to get through the rest of this reading. <laughs> I had this little war in my head. And I was like, no, I have no idea what I just read. And so, I, I spaced out. I just read, just words going through, not being transformed. And so, I reread it, and I prayed through it slowly so that I would live like Jesus. And so, let's say... Tomorrow morning, you open up in Galatians 5, 13 through, 4, 13 through 15 is your text. This is what this looks like. You're going to open your Bible, and you're going to read it, and you're going to say, okay, God, it looks like I'm to love other people as um, I love myself, and this is what you are doing in me. I've been free to do this. God, I don't, I don't want to love certain people. God, help me to love them. 
change me that I would want to love them. I see that you are in me, that I would love them. Help me love them. Make me aware of people that I'm not loving. Make me aware of words that I use that are not building people up. Help me to be more gentle in my spirit that I would love others and that they would feel your love coming through me. You see the difference there? We, we read the text, and then we say, God, make this truth a reality in me. And so whatever that prayer looks like. We learn Jesus to live like Jesus. Listen, as we love, we're going to be lights in this world, and that's who God has saved us to be. It's through our love for one another that we shine brightly for Jesus. If we don't love others, it is like we're putting that lampshade over the lamp and putting it in a closet, and no one gets to see it. It's not the purpose of lamps, to be in closets, right? The purpose is to put them out in the room that they give light. When we love others, we're giving light off. And it's not our light, but it's the light of Jesus. And again, I think we do that well here, and I want to encourage us to look at how we do that well outside of these walls, in Thurston County, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, so that we would shine brightly and we would see many, many more people come to know Jesus. I mean, that's what we're called to do, make disciples. I encourage you, let us dig deep into the word, not to become loving in our power. God is already making us more loving because Christ is in us. He has freed us to love. So let's come to his word and live the way he's called us. Let's commit to being in small groups with one another, spurring one another on, that we would help one another live a life of love. I'm gonna pray. Father, Father, we thank you for this text. Thank you for a text that says this is what it looks like to live by faith, that we love other people. Thank you, God, that you have set us free. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the taskmaster of the law. Do more, do more. Because of your gospel, no longer do I look at people as a way of how do they benefit me, but because your spirit is in me, You've changed me that now I look at them with love and compassion and gentleness the very same way your son looks at me. God, help me to love as you love. God, help us to be a church that loves. Thank you, Lord, that I believe you're already doing this in our church so well. And God, continue to grow it. Lord, I just pray as we are here today that your word would take great, deep roots in our hearts, in our life. Lead us into a life of love. In your name, Jesus. Amen.